Welcome to Jolty. Today, Faith and I are going to be spending some time with Lou Hooperhouse, who has established and is running a remarkable company called Blue Nalu. And what Lou is doing is really creating the future of fish. We all know about the problems of overfishing, about pollution, mercury, microbeads. And he said, wait a minute, we've got to stop fishing and we've got to create a whole new way to build fish from the fin up, if you will, and use advanced technology and change the way we think about what's on our plate. So I love what Lou Cooper House is doing. It's so interesting. Um, he was, as you pointed out, he was part of our talent bank early. He's a friend of right. yours. And he's growing fish from cells, not even hurting them with hooks in their mouths. What else do you know? I mean, you know, first, just from a pure sustainability point of view, we're overfishing, overharvesting the oceans, right? So mm -hmm. we got to do something about that. Plus, the fish we eat, as I'm sure you've also read, is loaded with mercury and these microbees, these little pieces of plastic. They so, found that in mother's milk, Addie. Yes. They just found that in breast milk. Yes. Just shit. Yeah, it's it's ugly. So, and the beauty, and he'll tell us more about it, the beauty of what he's doing is that it's essentially reproducing the complete genetics, everything you need, everything that makes a fish a fish outside of the fish. It's, it's your kind of ultimate science fiction. Yeah. Well, also, I don't like when they... When's the last time you went fishing, Annie? Oh, um, you know, uh, I'm, there are Jews who fish, but I'm not included You're in not that You're not one group, of them. So I can't think. I was invited on a fishing boat. It was supposed to be very glam. And then I was on the fishing boat. We drink beautiful champagne, and my kids were on, and my friend and her kid. And then they caught this big fish, and they drop it in a hole, and they bash it over the head. And I thought... I have got to get off this boat. Yeah. I mean, that's not like pleasant. That's not, I didn't know they do that or they yeah, let they, them flop around till not good. No, it's bloody. No. It's, it's bloody. And think how primitive that is. I mean, that goes back to the 19th century and before we were still doing the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes somehow people think that fishing is a little less violent than hunting, but it's really not. To your experience, it's... And then they keep saying these things have no brains, like lobsters. I personally hear lobsters screaming in the pot. I do think they have a brain. And I'm just over it. I'm just over it. Yeah. So, Wouldn't you like to be eating nice bluefin tuna that was not hit over the head before it got to your sushi place? Yeah, I would. If I like tuna, I don't have to like fish. Oh. Uh, but then again... Uh, that's that's not the point. I've seen you eat sushi. I'll, oh, I like sushi. I don't call that fish. Yeah, you're right. I love sushi. But I mean, you know, fish, like everybody order. And I like Dover sole, actually. Well, well, yes. You know you're in trouble when you go to a, to a restaurant and next to Dover sole it says PA per availability. That means it's $125. Not only, yeah. And they probably killed people to get it. I'm just in a, I'm in a grumpy mood about all this. Well, 70% of Americans think the country's going in the wrong direction. So you're obviously included in that group. I am. I hate to be part of the majority, but I guess I have I to know. be. You might yeah, make an everything's exception. a mess. It's a mess. It is a mess. It's terrifying. I don't know what to do.
Ugh. Anyway, maybe Lou Cooperhouse will cheer us up. Why and he can he also tell us about building like, you know, a cow in the lab and things like that? Well, let's let's see how much uh, how much how much he could talk about uh, cell-based uh, production in general beyond yeah. fish. His company is called Blue Nalu. Right. Like Blue Nile, Blue Nalu, founded in 2018. And before that, he was at the at Rutgers Food Innovation Center, which I didn't know they had. And then he was early client, I guess, of mine at Campbell's. He was at Campbell's, yes. Yeah, and then Conagra, then Nestle. This guy's been around. He looks very young. Maybe it's the fish. It's He, he cloned himself. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> he built himself cell by cell in the lab. Exactly. Yeah. On a so. scaffold, as they call it. Oh, okay. But this is a big vision. This is a big vision. Look how long it's taken, and it's still going to be years before it could be produced at scale. No pun intended, why? scale. Why, 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 why? I think it requires or it requires a whole new manufacturing infrastructure. You don't use any existing. Why do murders take so short and everything good takes so long? <laughs> why can you murder a whole country and that takes short in a second? And then to make fish that doesn't hurt to die uh, takes forever. Something's wrong. The balance is off. I think that's a great observation, right? We got to make good things happen faster and bad things happen slower. I know. I mean, the only encouraging thing about science, which you keep saying is going to cure everything. Oh, what about the end of the world? Science will fix that. What about people that are, you know, oh, science are going to fix that. What about people who are hungry? Science, water, science. Okay. But science did give us the COVID vaccine. Pretty it fast. It did. I have to say. As that. Larry David would say, pretty, pretty fast. Pretty, pretty fast. Do you like Larry David? I do, I have to say. He's funny, he's, right? He may be grumpy now, but he's always grumpy. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he makes me feel comfortable like I'm with my people. Exactly. One third of Ukraine has does not have power. Or they knocked, I shouldn't say that, they knocked out uh, one third of Ukraine's power generating capability. That's a lot. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I like, I hear people, people are infuriated. I don't think we're a divided country on this one. I think what's ever left about democracy, what's little left is focused on the Ukraine at the moment. Wars bring people together. Yeah. And I, I would agree. This is, this is, apolitical. We'll see what happens when this drags on and more and more money has to go in. Yeah, I'm look sure what happened with Afghanistan. Okay, exactly. ciao now. Ciao. Bye. Right. See Disgusting. you later. Disgusting. Yeah, see you later, alligator. And do you know how many of the of the translators and the other the other Afghanis who supported us are still trapped there? Still thousands. Yeah. Thousands and they're probably being tortured and murdered. I just I don't know. I told you I'm in a very grumpy mood. I feel like we're in permanent retrograde. Yes. Hi, Lou. Hi, Lou. Hello. I was just telling Adam that I was on this fishing boat by accident, and I see how they're smashing fish over the head. Oh. And, like, you know, and I was so glad that, you know, you're bringing an end to that murderous uh, hobby. Appreciate that. I, um, I'm proud to actually show you my, my clicking and my... Oh, <laughs> my <laughs> thank you. Yeah, Addie and, and I wrote Dictionary of the Future, and there's clicking. Thank you. Yeah, it's so I, sweet. 
So Lou, can you just give us some intro about who you are? We told the audience a bit, but, and what made you start this and what's going on with you and how come you look so young? <laughs> it's a, no, first, it's, it's a real uh, honor to, to be on this uh, podcast with uh, both of you, Faith and Adam, and uh, thank you. been a fan of your both of you for, for many years. Um, thank you. We're your fan. So, so um, your question was, uh, yeah, how did we start this company? So, so actually, actually, my career spans almost 40 years in the food industry, uh, all in innovation uh, in the food sector and, and, frankly, a lot of technology commercialization along the way. And uh, I really have become fascinated with all things food trends. I was involved with the early days of sous vide and cook chill and high pressure processing and modified atmosphere and entrees and soups and salads and desserts and gluten-free and diabetes products and all sorts of different innovations. And, but candidly, uh, from the years 2001 on, I was the founding uh, executive director at the Rutgers University Food Innovation Center and working with a lot of other startups. And uh, that was really an interesting lens for me because I found myself at the birth of alt protein. So uh, actually Impossible Foods was my client. Um, I was working with companies on plant-based cheeses and looking at precision fermentation. And I found myself doing a lot of public speaking about food innovation and what I was seeing and what gaps I was seeing, um, being, if you will, a little bit of a futurist. And I was started verbalizing that there is something that is quite explosive that's occurring in food tech uh, and food innovation and it's alternative protein. And was describing the three technologies of precision fermentation and plant-based and cell culturing. And I, I also said something that I know the two of you probably both agree to, um, that you really need to find, you know, technologies don't sell products. You know, it's really, you know, benefits, you know, really, really sell products and you got to find new solutions. And when I saw cell culturing uh, as the opportunity to make a, a real animal product without the animal, um, I saw that, if you will, as the Holy Grail. And I was describing that in those biblical terms, you know, in that seafood uh, particularly was the challenge that this process could really uh, manifest into something quite extraordinary. You know, as, as a food person, you know, I'm very philosophical about food. And I said to myself, why does it say market price on a menu? Because that's code for I really have no clue yeah. uh, what will be available any given day. Uh, my, you know, or said differently, my supply chain is a bit broken, unpredictable, very variable. And my pricing is uh, totally variable as well, as well as my quality. So the opportunity with cell culture seafood is to make a vertically integrated seafood supply chain, demand driven, not supply restricted offering health benefits uh, like absence of mercury and microplastics, environmental pollutants, um, and offering consistency uh, in a very variable supply chain with 100% yield, not 50 or 60, without animal suffering. In fact, one to three trillion fish are killed each year, as you mentioned, Faith, in a typically very brutal, uh, unfortunate, brutal. sad way. Yeah. So it really was something extraordinary. And uh, that was kind of the birth of Lunalu was really identifying this, you know, great gap in the marketplace that this technology could solve. The name Blue Nalu coming from what? So thanks for asking that question. So I was actually in Hawaii when I had my aha moment and I was doing some consulting work uh, at the University of Hawaii and actually speaking to a, a, as, a, as a keynote speaker at the Hawaii Agricultural Foundation. And I was literally saying to really 
you know, create entrepreneurship in that audience. You know, we are in the middle of a global problem. By no means is it a why. This place is the most amazing place in the world. It's what surrounds us in the next 2,500 mile radius. It's the Pacific Ocean, where 70% of our supply comes from. What can we do about it? So I was literally talking about cell culture seafood, making that the opportunity of a lifetime. And to be honest, Faith, I convinced myself. So I was there to help support other entrepreneurs. And that particular day, I became an entrepreneur all over again. And uh, Nalu, answer your question, is the Hawaiian word for wave. Oh, okay. Uh, so it's a new wave of thinking. It really speaks to the ocean. Beautiful. It's also slang in Hawaiian. If you say to somebody, Nalu, it, it's a surfing term. It's about, hey, be careful, be thoughtful out there. Um, you know, and, and it, so we're really, you know, embracing a very thoughtful approach to how we're approaching seafood um, and also, you know, providing some homage to Hawaii and, and also the ocean Pacific where our, you know, our global supply chain comes from. Got it. I, w- I was just going to ask if you could help the audience a bit, because there's a lot of terminology that obviously is you're intimate with, but a lot of people get confused in sort of the, in the, in the, in the jargon that's uh, coming at us. So, What's the difference between fermented fermentation process, i.e. what's used for Impossible Beyond Meat, and what you're doing with cell-based and other products people may have heard of, like Perfect Day, which is milk that's made out of the cattle and so forth. Just sort of give us a map of what this landscape looks like. Sure, Adam. Yeah, there's three three broad categories that uh, are really making up this, this uh, opportunity in alternative protein but arguably one of them is not alternative at all, which is cell culture. It's actually, it's, it is the real thing. So plant-based is generation one, and that is an image, you know, it's an imitation beef, poultry, or seafood product meant to replicate the sensory attributes of that, you know, steak or chicken nugget or, or, you know, fish stick, what have you, uh, using all sorts of plant ingredients, pea, soy, et cetera. Um, that's Gen 1. And frankly, that's you know, one that's been quite challenged, as we all know, because it is an imitation product. Uh, unfortunately, uses quite a few processing materials and ingredients and hasn't you know, really taken hold for lots of reasons we could talk about. Um, the second category is fermentation, which typically does use genetic, genetic engineering to create a product that also uh, replicates uh, the same uh, product as meat but historically is applied towards ingredients, if you will. So it's really, you know, casein, whey, different kinds of uh, uh, animal-based ingredients that are part of our supply chain, but at the ingredient level. Where cell culturing is a whole different process, does not necessarily use genetic engineering, it may or may not. But what cell culturing is, is doing is really going after the products, where fermentation is going after the ingredient, like casein or whey, this is going after the product like tuna, steak, or chicken. Right. However, you know, fermentation and cell culturing and even plant-based may all blend, uh, and people might be using different technologies to accomplish something too. Uh, so it is easy to be confused, Adam. Right. But the beauty of what cell culturing is all about, uh, it's, you know, it's not a very attractive term, but it was originally described as in vitro. Less, less attractive. Less attractive, not attractive at all, not a marketing right. term. Yeah. But, but what yeah. that what that really is meant, meant to demonstrate is we're taking a cell from a from a fish, could be a muscle cell or fat cell or connective tissue cell, uh, and then we are creating an environment, you know, enabling those cells to divide over and over again. So this is 
you know, like in vitro and in a, in a person that is born in a different way, this is not a living fish. This is a fish fillet. So we are making a fish fillet from its own cells. It is 100% the same product as the conventional counterpart, the same nutritional characteristics, the same sensory, the same functional. Um, it's just made a new way. So in the case of seafood, it's not wild or farmed. It's cell cultured. And we actually, you know, sponsor research. That's a whole other conversation about what to call this process. Um, and cell culturing is the one that uh, came up as the most uh, most appropriate. It's not wild or farmed. It's born. It's actually born. Ah. And from one cell, whatever you harvest, you can create the entire fillet, right? That's correct. So, so from one cell, so it's a bit of reverse engineering. So, so, you know, if you're saying to yourself, oh, my God, I love this bluefin tuna toro or some other seafood on your plate. So I, I'll say to you, hey, Adam, what do you mean you love it? What is it you love about it? You say, oh, it's so fatty, the mouthfeel. I'll say, well, you're actually describing the relationship between fat cells and muscle cells uh, in that product. So in the world of reverse engineering, we are actually making that product with the same fat and muscle composition as its conventional counterpart. So it is arguably like reverse engineering. We are giving right. you that same product consistently every time. Color, texture, mouthfeel, it's the same product, just made in a new way. And, and in the U.S., there's no approved meat product. I know you're going to Singapore soon, and the, the Just Chicken has been approved in Singapore, but your product is going through FDA approval now? That's correct, Adam. So, so um, what's really a positive uh, thing I want to acknowledge is that around the world, uh, national governments have been very supportive of this industry, cell culturing, because it really, frankly, you know, enables food security, more resilient supply chain, it supports climate change efforts, ESG, et cetera. So um, the U.S. has been at the forefront as well. So going back almost four years, I was at the very first public meeting of the FDA, and there's another one at the USDA. At the secretary and commissioner level, a great deal of support for this kind of American innovation. Um, however, uh, FDA and USDA needed to determine well, well, how the, what agencies will regulate these products. Uh, FDA and USDA determined they will jointly regulate cell culture mm -hmm. beef and poultry because neither agency has the you know the bandwidth, if you will, expertise to to really understand this. But FDA, which obviously regulates both food and drugs and has a lot of mm -hmm. expertise, will solely regulate cell culture of seafood. So, so they're, they're working with Bunalu and other companies in the field on a consultative basis to really understand how these products are manufactured. Um, it's been a really outstanding uh, experience, to be candid. I work with the FDA in this manner. It's really very interactive. And the same thing's happening in Singapore. We're seeing efforts in Japan and South Korea and Thailand. Uh, and even China has really uh, identified this area as uh, uh, enabling food security. And of course, in Europe, you know, not just in EU, but also in UK and Switzerland, other nations around the world, there's just a lot of activity to just understand this technology. So we are at the forefront, you know, really, you know, being there and being very uh, uh, supportive and, 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 and frankly, very transparent with what our process is. So, you know, there can be no concerns uh, by the regulatory agencies. I have a question. So gray sole, let's say, gray sole, like there's lemon sole and there's gray sole. It's a gray sole. Mm -hmm. Like, let's say that, well, on the Upper East Side, it's like uh, maybe $28 a pound. 
what would it be if you grew it? Um, so one way to answer your question, Faith, is um, as kind of what you're alluding to is from the world from Pollock uh, to Bluefin Tuna Toro, there is a wide range of what we pay for seafood today. Right. So when we're making products through a cell culturing process, this is a bit of an oxymoron comment, our costs are pretty much the same for everything. So, you know, for this reason, you know, at Blue Nalu, my whole strategy was to really initially begin on the high value products um, and really focus on premium seafood products. And to answer your question, we feel that we can be a price parity and even quite likely lower than price parity with conventional seafood if there are high value products from the get go. And we actually issued a press release just a week ago uh, about kind of technology breakthroughs that we've had when applied to the high value species that we're targeting will enable a considerable profitability in this business when people thought it wasn't really possible unless you blend with plants. So our whole approach is not to blend and have a identical whole muscle, not, you know, mixed with blend, not blended with plants and ground and formed, but really focusing on the premium seafood products that are, that are frankly also address, you know, uh, sustainability challenges, food security, et cetera, and just lack of access uh, like bluefin tuna. But to answer your question, so, you know, whether, you know, the gray sole, don't know, we haven't worked on that one yet. Um, but nonetheless, all of our species would cost, relatively speaking, within maybe 10% of each other, just based on some, some, you know. But you're saying it's going to cost as much as regular fish that swim around the ocean. It might cost the same. It might be less. But we even think it's you know, arguably even worth more. So these are things that we're still learning, Faith, because we've already had outstanding responses to our consumer and customer research. Why? Because we are offering superior benefits, unlike beef or poultry. And the reason I started with seafood, consumers have told us that we are addressing human health. We asked, you know, the people that responded that they are most in favor of trying our products are the people who overlay with the most frequent consumers of seafood today. They love seafood. They have it two to three times per week or more. They love to enjoy eating out at fine dining and sushi restaurants. So we asked them, why don't you eat more seafood? Why do you eat so much seafood? They say, because it's healthy. And why don't you eat more seafood? They've actually told us because it's not healthy. So they are conflicted. So, mm. so when we said, well, when we choose Blue Nile cell culture seafood, we have solved the problem, taken, if you will, the handcuffs off of this situation. And they have literally said mercury and microplastics are two things that concern them. And our products will offer these benefits, and they are highly likely to want to consume our products. And food service operators have said the same thing, not for human health answers, but because we'll have a consistent, stable, secure supply chain um, that will be 100% yield. So again, we are in the problem-solving business at the consumer and customer level. And that's why um, our products, you know, at, at, you know we, we feel there'll be no issues at all at price parity. And there's even opportunities with price premium that we plan to test out during the coming years. But Lou, I want, you know, I know you're trying to build something that's going to be profitable. I understand for you and whoever is investing with you, but I want it to be much less. I want it to be like a third the price. I want to be able to supply, you know, good protein 
to people who really can't afford the normal prices. These things are possible, Faith. So I, I think if you look at some of the literature, you know, what's clearly been stated about this industry is it's very expensive. Um, that is historically been true because this industry of manufacturing products through the cell culture technology comes from the biopharma sector with a very high cost of goods and a very difficult you know, manufacturing process that's never been scaled to these kind of volumes. So this is the reason we came out of the press release that said, yes, that's all true. This is a very expensive process, but you can be profitable if you use these technologies and apply it against these products. But yes, Faith, over time, our whole approach is to go from high value to high volume. Uh, and certainly economies of scale, like every industry that you guys know quite well, um, enters into the conversation uh, and our supply chain, you know, raw material costs will come down. Uh, the, you know, we're working with biopharma cost stainless steel. It's ridiculous. We'll become food grade, you know, stainless steel production processes. So yes, over the next 10, 15, 20 years, we, we clearly believe that the cost will come down considerably. And yes, the opportunity to sell the products at far less than price parity uh, will be what we believe will be quite quite possible. And to your point also, it will give us the opportunity to sell these products in, in, in less developed nations that really you know, don't have the opportunity to enjoy protein like the rest of the world. What, what is the speed to plate, if you will, of the manufacturing process from the one, I guess it's a pluripotent cell, from the one cell into the sashimi, how long does that take? We're, we're actually not using pluripotent cells. I know you use a technical term okay. there. We're, we're actually using a, a different kind of a, of a muscle cell uh, that we, um, there are to your, you know, I'll just answer your question in a second, but there are various techniques to actually manufacture these products. And ours is not use genetic engineering or some technologies that we feel are not scalable um, without getting into the weeds. So it's not pluripotent. But to answer okay. your, your question about speed to plate, um, when we started this company, I started the company uh, back in early 2018. Um, there were so many challenges, regulatory, technology scale up, supply chain uh, at the food grade level did not exist. Consumer adoption was really unknown, still unknown, um, but we're very confident on all these barriers coming down. The last real barrier, Adam, is all about commercialization and scale up. And that's really what our, our most recent press release is all about is we have really identified through a techno-economic analysis what that pathway to commercialization is. So it's our goal to actually put a shovel in the ground for the first large-scale factory somewhere in the next three to four years. So, so you know, 2025, 2026, pending the funding that we require, um, we'll be able to actually be at that level. So we're just three to four years away from really putting the first large-scale factory and as our press release identified, you know, we believe it can produce six million pounds, which sounds like a lot, but it's really nothing in the world of seafood. Um, it's just a real fraction uh, of the total global consumption, but it's a start. And if you will, it's a bit of a cookie cutter model that can be replicated around the world, uh, you know, and, and having multi-species capabilities. So you know, these future factories are no longer about, you know, getting, getting, such a large volume of our protein from the wild, um, but actually, you know, from the land, from land, uh, becoming a demand-driven model. So we could literally be like beef and poultry, 
and actually be able to predict supply and actually change in a couple of weeks. Um, if somebody says, oh, my God, um, Chilean sea bass is no longer available or totally restricted. Uh, if we had those cell lines in our inventory, we could literally make that in just a few weeks notice and, right. and be back in the market again. And if the if the shelf life, if you will, of the bluefin is five days, the same exact model holds for your cell based version. We actually think it'll be far better. Um, so the shelf life for bluefin tuna is actually maybe only two days, uh, for example, okay. because it's so fatty. It has oxidative rancidity that's quite significant, and it frequently does have a relatively high bacterial count. So we're manufacturing mm. our product in an aseptic environment, so it has very low plate counts, and it will and it will also uh, not go through the rancidity issues of conventional product either. Um, mm -hmm. So we think it's not yet. We have not yet gone that far with our research, but we're, we feel very confident given our process that. Uh, in addition to all the other benefits we described, the restaurateurs will really love this because it'll, you know, it won't, you know, change color or have oxidative right. acidity or, you know, have any kind of micro microbial degradation uh, nearly as quickly as occurs today. I have a question for you. So can you make uh, shellfish too? We can. So, so, so this technology, you know, can it, so it's a great, it's a great question. It's something I didn't address yet. So we've actually worked on finfish thus far eight different fin fish, saltwater and freshwater. So we really mastered fin fish. When I say we worked on it, that means we have stable cell lines. It's a, it's a bit like a, so all the propagation and, and you know, differentiation uh, and dividing that I talked about, you know, we've done that and, you know, through a wide variety of fin fish. Bluefin tuna right. will be our first one to market. But this te same technology will apply to either crustaceans or mollusks. So items like crab or lobster, um, you know, scallops, what have you, are all possible in the future. Uh, today we're focusing on finfish, but you know, clearly our technology, you know, can be adopted to these other species as well. You can e you can easily move to non kosher. <laughs> <laughs> and and there's there's an argument. Of course, the rabbis will have two opinions uh, on this issue. I'm sure they have it about <laughs> pork, but didn't they? Didn't the rabbis say that? That cultured pork is okay. Well, the same thing here. We you know, we could have kosher scallops or crab. Exactly. But obviously, different different uh, uh, kosher uh, agencies might have different opinions on the topic. Right. Um, of course, but uh, but yes, you know these these things are certainly possible. Well, I think it's a wonderful thing you're doing. Could you see someday a restaurant that only has like everything on the menu is things that were grown in a Un, you know, unhurtful, lovely way. I think people will be much happier. I, I, so, I so agree with you, Faith. And and um, our whole species selection strategy, as I mentioned, we're targeting initially premium food service, you know, meaning sushi and fine dining. Um, and our goal, and we've actually have identified a series of products to follow. So we are very much in the menu business, creating a platform technology that enables a wide array of seafood products that are all complementary, non-cannibalistic non, uh, on the menu. So to your very point, so over time, species number two, you know, now we're talking appetizers and entrees, lunches and dinners, you know, we you know species number three, complementary again. So we're, you know, our whole objective is to work with the food service operators to really enable just what you said, to displace as many items as possible from their menu with cell cultured seafood. You know, so that particular channel, that premium food service channel, 
uh, can be the first to market with uh, just a wide array of products. And the opportunity for retail and direct to, direct to home is out there too, but our first focus is certainly food service. Is the model that you'd build a few large manufacturing facilities because of the scale, or would you have satellites to create local distribution and more and, and a fresher model because you're only a few hours away from each potential destination? It's a great question, Adam. So I, our, you know, I, I use the term a few times, demand-driven. So our model is to really have, uh, if you will, a, a, a bank, an inventory of cells. Uh, it's a bit like starter culture for bread, you know, arguably. Mm-hmm. So, so basically, we have the raw materials to manufacture a wide array of species. So maybe we'll build a factory in Japan or Singapore or South Korea um, that might be uh, uh, dedicated for a single species. Um, and maybe one in one nation will be dedicated to one, another nation will be dedicated to another. So to your point, so if 70% of the volume goes to that home nation and 30% comes from one of our other factories, so yeah, so you know we're we are we are beginning to look at that you know the hub and spoke model for how we right. build factories worldwide. So so each one is somewhat demand driven based on the local you know uh, excitement uh, for products, but then we have the ability to you know import from other nations, um, ideally somewhat proximate uh, to kind of supplement that 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 demand. And and some products may come from America uh, or elsewhere, but um, you know today the global footprint for for that is quite extraordinary, but our whole goal is to really minimize that, you know, that, uh, you know, that, that, you know, huge environmental footprint that exists right. today. Hey, Lou, I have a question. So, you know how we're, we're, you know, overfishing and everything. So what happens if people stop fishing, right? And allow fish to just do their thing naturally, would there be a time where there'd be too many fish? We'd be, they wouldn't be able to sustain because it wouldn't be enough for them to eat. Um, if, if we have that problem, that's a good problem to deal with. But I, I don't think that will sadly ever be a challenge that we'll have. I think when we look at global consumption of seafood, first of all, the, the data from, say, UNFAO, first of all, addresses that there's, I believe, a 28 million pound gap in our seafood supply needs by the year 2030. So, so the, the, the wild capture has been flat for two decades. Aquaculture can only do certain species. And, and you know, so what's coming from the wild is just flat, you know, and our, de- our demand is going up. So it is really, really challenging coming from the wild. Aquaculture is doing things like salmon and other species that it can do somewhat well, but can, you know, has its own challenges as well, uh, which which are, you know, uh, which are easy to discuss, but we'll we'll keep, uh, keep that off off this discussion for now. Um, but the the reality is is you know cell culture is really meant to be a third solution. You know if we can just supplement that global demand, that's a huge win. Um, unfortunately, it comes from the wild. You know, uh, um, sadly, will likely never increase again like it like it has been. You know, back in the fifties and and forties, um, it's really been right. flat since the seventies. Um, but this would change all that, wouldn't it? It could certainly help it. But I think that I think the the economics of food, which you guys know quite well, uh, there arguably is a movement from red meat towards seafood and obviously more plant based ingredients from the medical community 
suggesting this is a more heart healthy way to enjoy your protein. Um, so there's even something called a blue foods movement. Hey, eat more mm-hmm. products from the ocean. So what are we doing? Creating more stress to the ocean. You know, so as we migrate from from red meat towards seafood and poultry as well, you know, we're creating more stress and it's just impacting the ocean even more. So what people need to realize, and unfortunately it's not been talked about enough, is how critical that healthy ocean ecosystem is to our entire planet. You know, it's generating roughly two-thirds of the oxygen we breathe. It's a it's the most important sink for for carbon um, in our in our in our in our world. Um, so having that, you know, the healthy ocean ecosystem is critical. And unfortunately, you know, it's great that there's a lot of attention towards deforestation, but there's not enough attention towards, you know, right. how do we maintain a more healthy ocean ecosystem? Yeah. Was trying As to a matter of fact, I read that they were breeding coral in the same way. And sticking. Yeah. I have one yes. more question from our um, team here was asking, you said that fresh fish, let's say last two days, how long does this last? We don't know just yet, Faith, but. Um, we think it could be double or triple um, of, of the shelf life of seafood. That's just me hypothesizing. Uh, my undergraduate degree was, some, was in microbiology and, and, and food science. So I certainly know a little bit about food preservation. And the fact that we're starting with uh, essentially a very low bacterial count um, to one at conventional counterpart might be 100,000 to a million per gram. Um, and the amount of rancidity that occurs uh, due to all that bacterial activity. Uh, so we are an extraordinary advantage. So it's easy to hypothesize that our shelf life can be, you know, certainly double or so much, much cleaner product. Uh, back to the oceans just for a quick second. So what is global warming doing to and, and, and hotter oceans doing to fish life? You might have seen just over the last you know, week or so, you know, the issue with 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 king crab. Um, where where millions of crabs disappeared. Um, and, and it's believe it's all due to warming oceans. So warming oceans and acidification are clearly, uh, potential disasters to our global supply chain. So we all saw with the impact of COVID on our supply chain. Uh, and then we all saw, you know, some of us saw the impact of war in Russia and Ukraine, uh, people talk about grain, but there's a, another corollary about seafood supply. So much of that comes from Russian waters. So there's been a mm-hmm. whole, you know, challenge to that, you know, low, you know, lower value supply chain like Pollock and Haddock um, that really affected, you know, many companies in the space. But warming oceans or acidification or any kind of environmental disaster, algae blooms or things like that could literally wipe out a very significant part of our supply chain, just as uh, I believe it was King Crab just, you know, has gone through a second year in a row of this kind of um, uh, devastation, uh, non-fishing situation. Uh, and, and, and the price fluctuation could be quite dramatic. I know scallops, the price increase uh, over 100 percent year over year uh, at the colossal, the large size, because uh, similarly, you know, dredging and, and other other factors have affected those. So it is very, very vulnerable supply chain, which we're really addressing. Head on. Would there ever come a time when you could you could uh, sell culture the entire crab and replenish the dwindling supply? Um, uh, that would be quite a quite a feat, Adam. But that's really that gets into cloning <laughs> and all that. So so, right. so we're we're uh, uh, 
I'm, nobody is that I'm aware of is working on that kind of uh, technology. But, but is but, your is your core construct and the scaffold and whatever it is you build that lets you build the fillet capable at some point of refinement or advancement or both to create the whole fish? And we're we're no, so we're 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 literally at the the fillet level, if you will. So it's the uh, it, our technology really, if you will, even derives a bit from regenerative, you know, uh, agriculture, but even at the human skeletal level. So uh, people in this industry might have, you know, come in their careers from working on, you know, livers or hearts or kidneys. So, you know, try to, you know, similarly replicate a, a body organ that, that frankly is functional. Ours right. is not functional. Ours is not living or beating. It's, it is, if you will, just the filet. So on the one hand, it's high tech. On the other hand, it's far lower tech than human skeletal muscle. Um, but, uh, but to your question, what we can work on, Adam, and kind of addressing your earlier point, Faith, about you know, lower price points, uh, one opportunity with cell culturing is we are literally bathing these cells in, in feed. So like aquaculture, uh, if you think about aquaculture, you have swimming, living fish swimming in circles you know, being bathed, if you will, in, in water and nutrients, you know, salt, sugars, you know, vitamins, minerals. We're doing something similar where we have living fish cells swimming in circles, if you will, um, being fed nutrients it's very similarly. Um, so these cells are then dividing and dieting, just like, you know, living fish would be dividing or would be, would be growing and growing in that condition. But what we can do is actually create more nutrient-dense uh, fillets over time. So mm. we are beginning with bluefin tuna, for example, as you know it, but the opportunity to create maybe higher omegas, mm -hmm. more, more nutrient density, um, more functionality, you know, something uh, I know that, uh, you know, you covered years ago, Faith, functional yeah. foods. Um, yeah. these, these things are certainly opportunistic because we are, we are that level of control with the, with the filet. Uh, that we could do something that could really provide a really unique solution for you know, for for less developed nations. We talked before about the brand piece of it and cell culture and whether or not it's the perfect terminology. But what you just described, Lou, which is essentially you're feeding this fillet nutrients in the same way that a fish in the ocean uh, ingests nutrients and grows on nutrients. That could be an interesting part of the branding story that you're actually consuming fish that was fed yes in a healthy way yes in a healthy way and with uh uh if people don't think about the fish that they you know that some people love farm-raised fish so those farm-raised fish are, are fed very similarly to our fish shells um right. so and obviously fish in the wild are, are obviously eating you know algae or or shrimp or what have you um, and, uh, they're, they're doing it, you know, their own natural way and fishing. Right. Well, that's uh, a good, yeah, farming. that's a good way to reinforce that, you know, people grass fed beef and, and there's a whole massive sort of mind space around the food you eat should be fed right. And this fits into that existing set yeah. of associations. I was wondering if you can make caviar. We could. So, so, um, we, we thought about caviar, but there's some things that, um, there's so many things I got to tell you, Faith. So we, we've actually gone over and over and over all the different species we could work on. It's been a uh, it's been a mind blowing exercise, and it goes back from day one of this company. And uh, we actually have a species selection strategy and matrix, 
You know, what are what are the attributes that get us excited? Is it high levels of mercury? Is it displacing imports? Uh, is it making products that are not sustainable? So, you know, is it looking at price points? So we actually have, you know, all kinds of factors that go into consideration. But yes, caviar is, is something we could do. Um, but we've, uh, for the time being, we've selected not to do that one. Ah, uh, I miss possible. my beluga. <laughs> but, it, but it is similar to your decision to go with bluefin tuna in that it's super premium and then demonstrates the capability of the technology, which then will cascade down to to other less expensive fish. But you're demonstrating it at the highest level of sophistication. Yes. So anyway, Lou, we just love talking to you. It was yummy. <laughs> and and um, we're going to be following up with you. I'm very, very excited about your work and you're a beautiful guy. And I really appreciate you coming on, Addie, too. And it was just a pleasure, right, Eddie? Yeah, I think it's um, it's been great to um, spend some time learning about what you're doing, which is, as, as we all believe, is so important on so many levels. And yeah. your perseverance and resilience to spend so many years to develop this technology and the complexities involved, regulatory, manufacturing, science, everything is, it's been an admirable pursuit. Yeah, you're making the future, Lou. I appreciate, yeah, exactly. appreciate your support. <laughs> Thank you. No, and, and I'm, big, I'm big fans of both of yours. So it's, it's <laughs> thank you, thank you. So thank you. Well, vice we'll, versa. We'll stay connected. Yeah. So, thank you both. Take care. So that was another episode of Jolty. Faith and I enjoyed it. We love shaking things up. We love hosting people who are transforming the world, who refuse to accept the status quo, and who are hopefully, and I think, are helping our listeners in this jolty, jagged, and complicated world that we're in. So please rate us or comment on iTunes or the platform of your choice. But be nice. Tell your friends. And uh, see you next time. Yeah. See you in the future, peeps. See you in the future.